but it is the Patriots Beat Podcast, day six of Patriots training camp, second padded practice. John Zanis here, Alex Barth over there from 98.5 The Sports Hub, and we're going to talk um, about what we saw at Patriots camp today. We've got um, some interesting goings-ons in the NFL um, uh, with a conference with a division rival uh involving our, our 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 old pal tom brady alex doesn't seem alex is pretty nonplussed about it he doesn't care tommy can do no wrong uh even though he was conspiring to leave the patriots for an entire year while still under contract with the team not a big deal alex doesn't mind uh we might even talk about some red Sox before this is all over but the focus will be on training camp and the patriots and what we saw on the field here at day six as we said it's the second day of padded practice and alex like has been the problem you know, all week long, you know, we can frame this one of two ways. We can either say bad things about the offense or nice things about the defense. It depends how you want to frame the conversation. But, you know, I do feel that now that the offense is stacking bad days together, one after the other, after the other, um, you're starting to, you know, it's not a panic meter necessarily, but it's kind of like a, okay, sure. Would sure love to see these guys have a good day. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where camps are back and forth, and I, I left it, and I'll stick with – Yeah, you I'll want some by, fourth. You want right, some fourth. I'll stand by what my take was yesterday. I said the defense had a better first day. They came out with more energy. They came out with more push. How does the offense respond? Outside of Trent Brown, who I actually thought was really good today, really no response from the offensive line. They had another tough day. I had seven sacks, and counting sacks in training camp is kind of BS, but – seven times where the coaching staff realistically could have blown the play dead because in game action, Mac Jones probably at least gets hit getting rid of the football, if not a full on sack. Some of that was good plays by the defensive line, but the offensive line still just seems uh, disconnected. I don't know that the problem is guys outright getting beat, right? I don't know. It's just, and there is some of that, you know, Christian Barmore put you see or Durant who granted a, a second team player, Christian Barmore exploded, put Durant on his ass today. That happened. But there's also instances, and the ones that are more concerning to me, where there's mis- there's miscommunication up front or missed assignments, or, you know, you'd have to be in the huddle to know exactly what it is. But that's the kind of stuff with four new starters, with the new coach coaching the position, with a new play caller, that stuff's a major issue because that's stuff you bank on the coaching staff to fix and we still don't entirely know what this coaching staff's responsibilities are. So that's where my concern is up front. Again, I thought Trent Brown was really good today. Besides that, it really just looks like five guys playing individually. It doesn't look like that unit you want it to be up front. And this is something I know you have the clip. This is something Mac Jones talked about after practice, which even more reason the quarterback's talking about it. It catches your attention. And so that's kind of the, the concern and we'll hear from Mac Jones, but, um, you know, again, it's you can throw every caveat in there. It's training camp, but you know, there's a long way to go. They're working stuff in there. I mean, Patriots are known for not only using training camp to get better. I mean, they're still Bill Belichick will tell you the first four regular season games, they're still kind of figuring stuff out. So yeah, day six, you're not gonna overreact. But what you are a little bit worried about is um you know, them starting to get a complex. And we've talked about Mac Jones and how he's dealt with failure in the past. He seems a little bit more chill this year, but here's Mac kind of talking about like, you know, losing day after day uh, to, to the defense. I want to ask when, when you are frustrated with maybe something unfolds, how do you, how do you handle the frustration and what's sort of your process to work through it after practice? Yeah, I think that's why we practice and um, I care a lot about football and we all do. And it's very competitive. And when we lose the day to me, that's like, uh, shot in the heart you know it's like we lost the game so uh, there's a lot more than that because it's practice you want to learn but at the end of the day we're out here competing and uh, the goal is to you know have more good plays than the other team and in that case that's the defense right now and I feel like we can compete even more and even better but a lot of it's just execution and the X's and O's and figuring out how to communicate with each other so um, better days ahead but you know we're in the start of this thing and we got to get it going but uh, we just take it day by day. Better days ahead, Alex. You heard the man. Yeah, well, I mean, you hope so. And look, they are trying to install install a new offensive system. And like I said before, you have four new starters on the offensive line. There's still time to fix what ails them. I To me, it's not a raw talent issue. I know some people want to make it a raw talent issue. Hey, they're just not good enough, right? 
I wouldn't go that far to that extent. I think there's some guys they can move around, but like Max said, I mean, they got to get everybody on the same page at this point. You know, you can't be making those kind of miscommunications and something else that Max said after practice. And this, this stood out to me is interesting that he, he kind of reiterated a couple of times that because they're running all these new things, they have to run them to get them on tape to see what they look like before they can fix them. Right. Like you can't, you can't make it better until you do it for the first time and see how to improve it. So they may still be in that period, but I feel like you got to be at mostly past that once you get to joint practices and into the preseason. I don't yeah. know how much more runway they have on the, on that period of the install. I, I guess the rest of the week, if we're being realistic, and that's not to say if they suck for the rest of the week, I'm going to be okay with it, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, back to the wall panicking that none of it's going to work. No, but, I, but that's it the thing is, is, it is just kind of interesting to think like, all right, so they're in that period and they're, they're going to adjust it, you know, but how do you adjust around this? It, it really just feels like at this point, it's a communication thing and it's an understanding thing. I don't know that there's much schematically where you're going to, you're going to go in and say, Hey, on this call, let's, let's use this instead of that. It really just feels like everybody's got it. It's five guys seeing things differently. They've just got to get all five guys up front and really all 11 guys, and, I shouldn't say seeing the same thing. And they're not on the same page. And again, they're implementing the new thing. Um, and, uh, you know, you can see it. You once again had a couple of coaching moments where Cole Strange just kind of, you know, uh, you know, let let a guy just kind of run through completely unblocked and he gets pulled aside and he gets talked to. Um, but, you know, Strange, you would think would actually be a guy who'd benefit from this type of uh, zone blocking scheme here. Whereas some of the other guys on the line, I'm curious whether or not it actually suits them. So in addition to communication and who does what and knowing your assignments, you know, when you're implementing something new, I, I am a little curious in terms of personnel and whether or not they have the right personnel to, to implement this type of uh, zone running scheme. Uh, as you said, though, it's er You keep saying it's early, until it's no longer early, then it's just reality. It's a it's a problem. And so when do you hit it? I don't know. As you said, the end of the week. But what if you're halfway through? What if you're through 10 days, 12 days of training camp, Alex, and you're like, this sucks. We can't do this. Let's do something else. Do you just scrap it and go with a different sort of scheme altogether? Well, I, you know, I think you go, you probably go back to what you know. And they've run some 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 of these concepts in the past. So maybe there's still some of that older stuff in the playbook. You don't have a ton of newer players in the offense. To me, it stops being early after this week. It stops being early once the Carolina Panthers get here. So that's why I'm saying they still have some time to figure it out. But if the Panthers get here and it looks worse, which it does feel like that's a possibility, I'm not saying that it, that's going to happen, but if the Panthers get here and it still looks bad, then you have to start having that conversation. Yeah. Um, so again, you're not there yet, but that's the problem right now. And it's the blocking. And again, what's going on over there on the right side of your uh, room? Everything. Okay. What? Yeah. Sorry. I'm what's just, I'm, I'm on, uh, <laughs> I, I I'm on uh, trade deadline duty as well got, too. So I'm just trying you got to break juggle news? a couple things. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, no, it's all good. So, uh, yeah, you have up until then, and I think that that's fine. And and so much of it has been focused on the offensive line, and that's what happened is you get two days of contact, and you're going to see, you know, the guys up front are going to be the ones who are highlighted here, and it's the first chance to see it. It's been definitely alarming. Uh, but, again, flipping the script, bad offense sometimes means good defense. Uh, today was an interesting day because you had so much so much second-team action is a little bit harder to draw yeah. from, you know, uh, the good, the positive things came on the defense, but I mean, Christian Barmore almost single-handedly destroyed everything that the second team offense was trying to do. And um, he's a very difficult guy to block. Um, you know, as you said, he's putting people on his butt, uh, on their butts. He's getting penetration. Uh, he's winning in his one-on-ones, uh, you know, uh, battles as well. Continues to look like right now, the best player in camp. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's that, you know, that whole group kind of pushing up front. I, I, I think I said this earlier, I had them down for seven sacks today. Uh, and a lot of that is. And, and I, I had eight, 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 I think it was uh, I had eight, eight or nine, eight or nine running plays that went no more than a yard or two or got stuffed at the line of scrimmage or for losses as well. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, that, that was an, uh, in addition, they're just they're just getting off their blocks and they're just get penetrating and, and, right. and stuffing the run. Damian Harris had nowhere to go. Obviously, you know, the second team stopped. They had, they couldn't get anything going on the ground, but yeah, they, they, they were effective on both sides there. 
Well, and I think, and we'll get into it. I think some of that was the linebackers too. And I want to give those guys. And the linebackers were actually get there. Yeah. Yeah. I, when Barmore's not to go back to Barmore, like you were talking about, right. When Barmore's not getting, even when he's not getting there, you just see the effect he has opening up guys around him. You have to, you, he has to be a focal point in your protection. You have to allocate extra assets to kind of keep him in control. This was like the best case scenario when they picked him. I, I, I don't want to, you know, go too extreme here. When, when people asked for the comp, I said, not Aaron Donald, but that idea, a more athletic interior player who brings an exterior skill set, but the strength to compete with guys up the middle. And I don't, he'll never do it at, at Donald's level. Obviously Aaron Donald might be the greatest defensive lineman in the history of the game, but it's that same sort of idea where there's just not a lot of textbook options to stop a guy like that. I, I almost want to say to defend a guy like that, you know, the way he attacks uh, an offense, it's, it's, it's an offensive mentality. I think he plays the game with. So you're seeing that early on here where if you just leave him one-on-one, he's going to be, he's going to create problems. He's, he's going to create a ruckus. You have to help him. And it, it looks even more so in year two. Uh, I know people have, it's kind of been a doom and gloom camp so far. If there's one person I say people should be through the roof for it's Christian Barmore. Yeah, there's no question. He's definitely the guy who's turned the most heads. Uh, everything else you want to look at, uh, you know, and again, you're looking for positive things. I think Devontae Parker is obviously the other one who continues to, uh, you know, be solid yeah. most days. Uh, I, and again, first team offense, you didn't see a lot of, but again, Devontae Parker, even in his one-on-ones, matched up with Malcolm Butler today. Uh, you know, he dusted him yesterday for a 40-yard gain down the sideline. I think Butler had that in the back of his mind today. Um, uh, uh Devonte got him on a comeback route. Butler just fell over himself. That so was he's make- a great route. I know which one you're talking great about. Great route. Yeah. He just stopped dead, and Butler kept going, and he fell backwards. Great route. Um, those one on ones, I love them. They're short, uh, but it's a great. Those are super fun to watch there, and I know a lot of people watching the linemen, and then you've got the receivers going against the uh, uh, the corners. One thing I thought was interesting today, we talked yesterday, Tyquan Thornton going against your man, uh, Jawan Williams, and that was something you kind of indicated, hey, maybe they should try that with Tyquan against the physical guy. And uh, and and he and he did. He got two wins versus Thornton yesterday, uh, made two catches. I mean, uh, versus Williams, two for two. Uh, and then I was chatting with our with our with our with our guy, Phil Perry, who I think you just had on your your own yep. podcast. Is that correct? Yep. And he was like, he was like, yeah, he's like, I was thinking, though, he's like, I remember last year we were talking up Harry having a pretty good start to the camp. And then I went back in my mind. I thought, oh, all of that was against Jawan Williams. And I was like, uh-huh. OK, I remember. Yeah, and, and, and you have to take that, you know, take those with a grain of salt. But I like that he was able to get off the line today. He was matched up with Jalen Mills, made clear, made the play of the day by far. Really amazing to see. I mean, Mills was great in coverage, but Thornton goes in, makes an adjustment. The ball just drops right over the top of his head. I mean, he's almost over the wrong shoulder where he was first looking, and he makes this amazing one-handed catch sliding, you know, right at the boundary there at the sideline, uh, you know, on a deep throw. Great, well-placed throw as well. And just a beautiful catch, beautiful concentration, you know, play, you know, you know, fighting through contact down the field, being able to, 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 you know, to focus like that, make the catch. And Jalen Mills just stands up after the catch and he's like, he gave him, he gave him the credit he deserved. Yeah. He gave, he's like, Hey, you did it, buddy. You know, it's like you hit that good tennis shot. You know, he got, that was, a, I mean, really, I, so Thornton stacking good days now, which is something you definitely want to see, which is nice to see. Oh, yeah, I, I think, and I talked about this with Phil, and again, you can find the podcast. It's up now on 98.5thesportsup.com. It's, there's still a ways to go. You know, when we get into joint practices, when he faces yep. some better corners, when we get into a game, how will it look? He's still a little inconsistent. In team drills, which isn't unexpected for a rookie, he's not just beating one-on-one, he's beating concepts, but he's starting to do it more. You want to see that. I There's not a lot to knock. You know, I just kind of said that. That's more an explanation than a there's knock. Not, I think there's not a lot to he's, knock. That's right. the best part he's about it. pretty much checked every box to this point. He's got a few more boxes to check to get there. But, you know, and, I, and I'm guilty of this. I think a lot of people kind of looked at him, a, a smaller guy, a guy with just one year of production, and said, oh, redshirt. Oh, you know, we'll see him in 2023. It's really trending towards you might have to put him on the field if he's going to be able to do some of this. I think especially because you look at, the issues last year with throwing the ball down the field. And yeah, they had Nelson Aguilar to keep teams honest, but 
he really wasn't that true threat you needed him to be. Where it stands out with Thornton, and I actually think he's been really good in the short and intermediate game too, but he has, to this point, been every bit the deep threat you kind of hope a 6'2 guy with 4'2 speed will be, right? So I I think he's been excellent. I, I think there's a lot of reason to be encouraged with him. Next week with the joint practices will tell us a whole lot, but I'm optimistic going into that. And look, if he dominates the joint practices, the hype train's going to get out of control. It, yeah. it is. Maybe rightfully so, honestly. And maybe rightfully so because all it seems like all he's done is come in and throw away the knocks and the question marks that he had applied to him heading into camp. So it's yeah. it, he's one of the most exciting players in this camp right now. The potential's through the roof. He, he's been a joy to watch. Yeah, so he's fun to watch. Another guy... One of the guys who you think he might be actually competing with for snaps during the season uh, would be uh, Nelson Aguilar. And he's kind of like this forgotten guy that nobody's getting, you know, paying a lot of attention to after what was basically a lost season last year. Uh, he had a really good practice today. Yeah, I thought he did. I, I think he's had a good camp as well. Pretty good camp. Yeah. Yeah. He's and he he just looks more comfortable to me. We saw most most of these guys from that class last year, him. Born talked about it at times. John o. Smith talked about it. Just kind of uncomfortable, maybe in the offense. And, and maybe this is why they're going to this new system, right? To make things easier for the receivers. But Aguilar just looks a lot more comfortable with everything. He looks more comfortable with the system. He looks more comfortable with Mac Jones, all of it. And it's just opening him up a little more, especially deep. He he was eating on the deep balls today. I, he had one and one on ones, and I think two in team drills where he just won off the line, beat the corner in a foot race got open, you know, a step or two down the field, made the catch, easy touchdown. That was the kind of stuff that you kind of wanted more from him last year, but maybe we didn't see as much as we thought we would. Yep. So that's that's what I like about him. He just looks more, and, and even in talking to him too, and he spoke today after practice, he sounds more comfortable. He sounds more confident, and that can go a long way. All right, real quick, we want to take a pause and tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with the first to market odds and lines. And of course, the Patriots Beat Podcast and the entire CLNS Media Network is powered by Bet Online. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. They have it all. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our code CLNS50 to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Once again, the code is CLNS50. Receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Other guys, let's circle back because we didn't get a chance to. Um, you know, the linebackers here, um, you know, you want to go a little bit deeper, but, um, you know, it is interesting where position groupings that you come in kind of a little bit worried about have been ones that you're actually feeling better about. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's as true. The season, as the season went, as the preseason has progressed, the defensive backs, again, we've thought have been really solid uh, and the linebackers um, have showed well to do. And again, I don't know how much of that has to do with whatever miscommunications going on or the really slow start for the offense. Um, but today was a good day for the linebackers. Today was a really good day for the linebackers. I thought collectively they were the best group on the field. Uh, Juwan Bentley made a couple of nice plays. Raekwon McMillan made a couple of nice plays. Jelani Tavai got involved, which is interesting after Bill Belichick's comments about him last night on Sirius XM Radio with Bill saying that, you know, they think he's going to be a big part of what they do on all four downs. But the star of the day to me, the best player on the field, regardless, was Mac Wilson. I had him with a plus play in coverage. He made a diving play to knock down a pass to a running back on an angle right out of the backfield. I had him down for a sack, so a play on the pass rush. And I had him down for a, a thunderous run stop against J.J. Taylor. He, he did a little bit of everything. I think he's been doing that. It's come out more the last two days just because they're in pads. You can see him more, right? But I, if he can be that kind of guy, right? This is what he did today, and it's one day of practice, and it's not to say he'll be that guy, but what he did today is kind of the guy we were all thinking about while the Patriots were getting their door kicked in by the Bills. Where's the linebacker that can go sideline to sideline, can run with the running back, can run with the tight end, can run with the faster quarterback, but can still insert himself into the game physically? Well, that's, you know, Mac, Mil Mac, Mac Wilson and Raekwon McMillan were kind of billed as those guys coming in, and they've delivered. I think Wilson emphatically today, but McMillan's had his moments as well. He's maybe a little bigger, a little less athletic, but he's still not that 
you know, old school Juwan Bentley, Dante Hightower like type linebacker. I think those guys, if those guys can be factors, it changes the way they can operate defensively because it allows you to maybe be a little bigger up front. It allows you to eat more space at the point of attack while not giving up that foot speed at the second level. And that is what they're going to need to do in order to compete in this division, plain and simple. It's what they're going to need. So to see those guys playing as well as they have, and again, I think Mac Wilson was excellent today, Raekwon as well. I know, and people are going to ask too, what about Cameron McGrone? He was kind of the third guy in that group. We, we haven't seen a ton of him to this. No, point. not much at all. It's weird, right? And I, I don't want to say he's played bad. We just, we haven't seen him at all. So I, either way, one or the other, but I think with, with, no, you just, Millen, you just haven't seen him. People were expecting you to right. see, he'd be more prominently featured early in camp and you're just not seeing right. a lot of them. But with McMillan and Wilson, that should be enough at that position. And then Juwan, Bentley, of course, as well, that should be enough in the middle. I think that that's a good group. I, I wrote this in my notebook today. I think this is a position people were concerned coming in, and I understand why people were concerned coming in. I, are they going to be, you know, the 2000 Ravens, the the 2002 Bucks, the 04 Patriots? Not quite. But I, I think they have a group that'll get by. I think they have a group that, that given the, the context of the defense, will give them what they need to give them. Yep. So uh, linebacker's good. D-backs good early in camp. Uh, we've, we've talked about Barmore. We've talked about Tyquan Thornton. Anything else that stood out to you today? Um, talked. I, I mean, just the continuing cornerback battle. I thought Terrence Mitchell came back today. He had a nice pa- pass break of working against Nelson Aguilar early in practice. Malcolm Butler didn't quite follow up what he did yesterday. It's not to say it was terrible, but he got beat. He's inconsistent it's, it, right now. It's in, Yeah, he's inconsistent. And I think that's kind of what we expected, right? Terrence Mitchell's the safe option. He maybe doesn't have the ceiling of a guy like Malcolm Butler, a guy like Jack Jones, but you kind of know what you're getting with them. That's sort of what we've seen. You're waiting for one of these guys, whether it's Butler or Jones, to go on sort of a run and say, well, can this guy be consistent? Hey, he's stringing practices together. We haven't gotten that to that this point. So it's interesting to see it go back and forth. It's funny because we're talking about the offense is struggling and the defense is great, but then here we are five minutes later and Hey, the wide receivers have actually been really good in the corners. We still don't know. It's, it's two, it's really two different stories. I think characterizing it as the offense struggling and the defense playing well, I think that's a mischaracterization. I think up front, the offense has won things so far. Well, in the in non-padded the days, in the non-padded days, in the competitive yeah, well, drills, the defense, the D-backs had the receivers blanketed. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm throwing out the non-padded practice. And I point, understand though. you can throw them yeah. out because it's red zone work mainly. You know the pass is coming. There's no threat of a running game, but still, it was pretty alarming that nobody could get open. And I'm talking not even an inch of separation. So that's all you got to see there. But in some one-on-ones, you're seeing individuals beat people. Uh, but you're right. Everything we've seen in these last two days is really more a byproduct of what's going on up front. And you know what? I'll add one more. I, I wrote this in my notebook, and some people brought it up in the comments, and, and it's a good point. Uh, two of the rookies up front, uh, 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 Sam Roberts, who's a six-round pick, that's the D2 kid with the long arms, the five-block field goals, and LeBron Ray, my guy, who I think is going to be the UDFA guy, uh, they uh, they both had sacks today. Yeah, and and LeBron Ray really, I mean, broke right through when it was against the first team offense. So that would be my other observation. Those guys continue to, to head on the right trajectory. That's two days in a row with a sack for LeBron Ray. I'm 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 excited about him. I'll say it. I'm excited about him. I think you look at you know some of these older defensive linemen, Lawrence Guy, Dietrich Wise, who hasn't been out there. Maybe it's not this year he fully replaces them, but he's a similar kind of player. And I I think you look at what he's giving them. You have to kind of look at that as maybe a pipeline. And this year is a growth year. Maybe he's not overly involved in the defense it's more of a rotational role i'm talking about ray but you could put roberts in here as well Uh, but whether it's late this season and then into next season these are guys that look like they're going to be able to give the patriots something yeah um zappy i thought had a better day he's been pretty um you know inconsistent is a nice way to say it throwing the ball today um i thought he was a little bit better than he's been uh even though it wasn't a lot of stuff downfield but i thought uh he looked a little bit better I'll give Devin Asiasi a kind of a forgotten guy. 
a little tip of the hat as well. Uh, made a couple of uh, catches in his one-on-one reps. I thought he did well. Um, you know, he, Belichick, I think, talked about him a little bit as well. It's kind of a forgotten guy here with the two other tight ends. Uh, and the last one I wanted to mention also, uh, we talked about him yesterday, but uh, just Ty Montgomery again, um, you know, continues to make some plays. He had one of the good, one of the big plays in the running game today. Um, and he's, you know, again, as a receiver, he's operating pretty well, had a nice, um, I, I can't remember. I have it in my notes who it was in coverage, uh, but a nice uh, completion to him as well. Let me see if we can find it. Um, so I think I, I, it's very clear. Not only he's going to have a role and he's going to make the team. I think he's going to actually have a. I think I think he's I think he's going to touch the ball a lot. I, I would agree with that. I just want to go back to Zappy. Uh, I'll share a quick note on him. Yeah, I, I'm sitting there up with some people and we're talking about him and just he's zipping everything. Just, just throwing the ball as hard as he can. And that's what you see from guys that run that yeah. system in college a lot. And as soon as I say, yeah, he's never thrown a touch pass in his life, he throws this beautiful touch pass over two defenders. I think it was Devin Asiasi who caught it. It was Asiasi yeah. or Jordan Humphrey. That's encouraging. Like, that's growth, right? All right, he's starting to figure sure. out how to put some touch on the ball. And it's not like we're counting on Bailey Zappi to have this massive no. growth and do anything this year, right? But it's it's progress. You want to see progress yeah. from any player on the field. And so that, that was a play... I think that stood out to me. You got to see it with him. You could give it, see him give a little fist bump. Like that's something that clearly I think the coaching staff told him and, and, you know, he figured it out. So credit to him for that. That was, that was a plus play. That's a play two days ago. I think he fires it into the back of the defender and it gets knocked down or even picked off. He was able to complete it today on a nice ball. Yeah, that was progress. You know, like I'm, I'm going to give Bailey uh, Zappi a, a little bit, you know, a pat on the butt today for for making progress because I, I I thought this was kind of a better day for for some of the stuff that you just mentioned there. Um, and also, you know, right now you he is a person of interest because the Brian Hoare has been abducted by aliens. Um, so <laughs> we have no idea right now. Bailey Zappi is, you know, your, your backup quarterback uh, of this team. And uh, you know, there's a chance here for him to, you know, make the most of his opportunity and get some reps. And they got a lot, a lot, a lot of reps today. Um, that's main. That's mainly the camp stuff. We're going to, we're going to talk about a couple more things uh, before we wrap the pod. And one of them uh, involves the Patriots and it's uh, the uh, Miami Dolphins got whacked today. This is the Brian Flores lawsuit, uh, and it uh, one of the main things in this lawsuit was about uh, being offered $100,000 to intentionally lose games, which the NFL completely dismissed as just the way, you know, that uh, the owner jokes, Stephen Ross jokes, whatever. That's a farcical portion of this story. But the, the, the real part of the story is – they got whacked $1.5 million dock two draft picks for heavy duty tampering involving our pal, Tom Brady, uh, making multiple attempts. And then, and I'll Sean Payton as well. Um, impermissible communications with Brady in going back to the off season, le- heading into his last year, uh, as, uh, a new England Patriot. And we know how it ended with the Pats. They restructured his deal, basically clearing the way for that to be his final year uh, with the team. So he was a dead man walking in his last season in new England. And a lot of people knew it. It's not a huge surprise. Um, this still is a little bit slimy uh, and grimy and makes me feel a little, it doesn't make me feel great. Should we be mad about this, Alex? I'll ask you that question. Should you be, should you be a little tweaked? Should you be a little peeved? Uh, at Tom Brady just for this. We knew it ended badly. Both sides, it doesn't matter where the blame rests, if it was all Bill being stubborn. And most people, I think, are in Team Brady in terms of, you know, uh, you know which parent they're picking in that divorce. But this is still pretty I – don't, I don't love this. Yeah, I, I'll go with the, like, cliche parent. Like, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed, right? Yeah. You know, it's like – you're Tom Brady. How do you not think this is going to get out eventually? Um, it's not great. It does vindicate, I think, Bill Belichick a little bit in that, you know, maybe the relationship could have been better getting to that point, but Bill didn't exactly maybe force him out the door with his options, but it doesn't sound like this was a situation where there was a contract on the table. Brady was coming back. We were texting before the show and I kind of told you, I don't have a take on this. And I think you were a little surprised. I guess my take on this is, and, and I don't know, like maybe, some people agree with me on this. Maybe some people don't. 
I, the reason I can't really bring myself to care, like, yeah, I'm bummed. I love Tom Brady. He's a kid. It sucks. He went behind the Patriots back. It takes some of the shine off this. He's probably never coming back here. Now we're probably not going to get to see him coming back on opening day, carrying a trophy on the field, right? That blows. But I just, it, this isn't football, right? It's its own thing. This is in the celebrity gossip TMZ category. Like if I wanted to care about this stuff, I'd watch the Kardashians or I'd watch one of those. It's not quite I'd that. watch one of those stupid reality shows like Below Deck that Evan watches. It is. It's what did the one celebrity say to the other celebrity behind closed doors? It's not football, right? We're not talking about X's and O's or anything like tampering that. Is, Maybe tampering. it's team building. Tampering so, is football. Tam- tampering is sports. Whether you want to or it, not, what you can have two stances though. You can say it's part of sports and everybody does it, and I'm not really vexed about it. The funny thing is, I'm not. I, in fact, I think you kind of should be allowed to tamper. Like, if you work, you work at the sports hub, Alex, and I want to go over there and I want to talk to you about an opportunity over at CLNS. I think I have every right to do that, and I think you have every right to listen. I. I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world to be able to talk to people just because they work somewhere else. It's this thing that you have in sports where it's this taboo. You can't tamper and you can't talk to. Give me a friggin' break. You run into a guy at the party. It would be awesome if you came to play for us. All right, clink. I actually don't care. The fact that Brady was so far gone and out of his mind and done with us here is the bigger issue to me, not the that he was checked out and mailed in uh, for an entire season you know, and even honestly, the season before, which resulted in a Super Bowl, amazingly, but like Tom was done here, and that kind of hurts a little. That's all. It does, but for me, it's like you know, we're 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 doing. I, I, we find this out. We're we're on the field, getting ready to wrap up training camp coverage. You know, twenty twenty two. What does this do for that? Right, like it's just the Brady leaving storyline, and maybe it's because I'm. A I mean, what did Kurt, Kurt, I'll ask but, you this? What what did Kurt Schilling? turning into what this version of Kurt Schilling do for you and your mind and your, and how you felt about 2004 title for some people. It was like, ah, God, you know, because there's certain things you didn't like there. So yeah, you can absolutely, you can tarnish memories and you can affect legacies by behavior uh, and, and things that are learned after the fact. So really the question comes down to, does it hurt? Does it, does it tarnish Brady at all in your mind? Those those are yours forever. What makes you a Pats fan? You grew up following this. You love Tom Brady. You want to believe he's infallible. You love the dynasty. That's the reason you a, a million people your age or five, ten years older or younger are in this business in the first place because it was Tom. And it's like, ah, you, you did us dirty, man. Why did you do that? So I'm really asking. I'm not telling you you should be mad. Right. I'm just wondering how many people have changed their takes a little bit or changed their opinions here. Well, no, I, I mean, I, I, I definitely think it's going to upset some fans and that's why, you know, for a guy who's so brand conscious, it surprised me. But for me, I'm just like, and I, again, I think there's people that agree with me on this. He left, we get it. He left. It hurt. Every time we have to hear about it, it hurts. I'm on to 2022. Like I'm looking at this team that why that's why to me, it's a gossip thing. It doesn't impact. Like if we're covering the dolphins, they lose a pick. That's the football roster building impact of it to me from a Patriots point of view. And Bill will get asked about it tomorrow and he'll say no comment and it'll, it'll generate a million headlines. Right. I just, it doesn't impact the Patriots on the field in 2022. Maybe it's a fun storyline. If they blow the doors off the dolphins in week one, Bill wanted some revenge. Right. But I just, I don't know. It's yeah. It's annoying. Every time we hear about Tom Brady now, it's annoying. It's making me be annoyed by him. But it's just this re it's just different ways to rehash the same story. I just want to move on at this point. Yes, I have great childhood memories of Tom Brady. I'll always have those memories. I'm forever grateful to him for those memories. He's getting annoying now at this point. I'm kind of done with it because I want to focus on the team now. And it would be nice if I could focus on the team now and appreciate those memories. I guess we don't get to have that. You know, we don't get to have it both ways. But again, to me, it's a gossip story. It's a gossip story. It's not a football story. I, 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 I'm halfway there and halfway not. It's not a football story, meaning it doesn't affect anything that the Patriots do, but it's a story because it's a story about football. It's not a football story, but that's not the point. The point is you become attached to these people because you, 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 you have affection for them. You, they, you love what they do and 
it means something to you. And then when you find out that like, ah, you know, whatever, like I said, I'm just, does it tarnish the image for you? Did you find that shady? The fact that he was, you know, one foot out the door while playing, you know, his final season with the Patriots. You're a fan. You're invested in that season. Tom Brady's not. That kind of stinks. But again, I'm not going to tell you how to feel. And I'm not going to tell you, you should overreact to the story. It is what it is. Um, but that's a piece of news out there today. I find the rest of the story involving the tampering thing to be uh, the, you know, it, it, almost hilarious, both in its, you know, just, in its ineptitude, the Dolphins tried to tamper well, that, three that's... times. Yeah, the Dolphins tried to tamper three times and failed, and they tried to tank and failed. Uh, so that's hilarious. And then the explanation—that's a football about... story. I'll talk about that. That's a football story. The Dolphins somehow tampered with the coach and quarterback, got neither. And... Now lost picks. Tried to throw games. Stephen Ross came Didn't right at do that. Influential owners in the game. And somehow didn't lose his team. I think the Dolphins got off light, all things considered. They got off extremely light. When you find a guy whose net worth is $8.2 billion, $1.5 million, and then you let him come back a month into the season, you've done nothing, okay? You want to make Steven Ross hurt? Take away his team or find a way to make him poor. Anything short of that is not really doing anything. So there's no... There is no penalty. And yeah, the Dolphins feel it and it hurts a little bit there. Steven Ross is no different today than he was yesterday. There, nothing has changed there other than he's probably annoyed. Um, that's it. You know, a little right. bit annoyed. It's a parking ticket for him. Um, and so they, this, the Dolphins go from thinking they're getting Sean. If, if things don't work out with Tua this year and Mike McDaniel's the bus, some people think he'll be. The Dolphins go from thinking they're getting Sean Payton and Tom Brady to a bottom five team with a bad coach and no way to get a new quarterback. Like, so I said, I don't get it. I'll I'll end it on this, John. Let me ask you this. I, I, I end, I asked this to Matt Dolph today when this news came out, who deserves to go Owen 17 more, the dolphins or the Browns. And by the way, they play each other this year. Yeah. I don't know when, but they play. I think it's actually the week that they're both back. It could be. I thought I saw that today. The the Watson, the Watson, the Watson Ross week. I, 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 you know, it's not. I thought I saw somebody mention that. No, the that Browns. Today. The Browns play the Ravens that week. Oh. Okay. It um, is. Yeah, I don't know, but who deserves to go zero and seventeen more? There's a question to think about. In both cases, it's. It, but the idea of it's suspending week an, It's week ten. Ten. Sorry, the idea of suspending yeah. an owner I've always thought was comical. It's the same thing oh, when it so happened stupid. to Ursi. What does that mean? Suspending an owner? He's he still owns the team. What can't he do? What do owners actually do that they're suspended from? It's friggin' silly. Go watch silly. the game on your yacht. You can't come to the I, stadium. Go watch the game on I, your yacht. You can hover above. You can you know you can have friggin' you know you know Bezos fly you to the friggin' moon and watch it from space. It doesn't matter. Like nothing changes here. Uh, you know. It's it's friggin' silly suspending an owner. You know, that's not the way that you make them, you know, responsible, uh, you know, or uh, hold them accountable for for something like this. And that was honestly the bigger thing. Because I, I actually don't care about tampering. I really don't. I do care about game fixing a great deal. And that's the one that they ignored. Uh, and, and then Stephen Ross has the audacity to take shots at Brian Flores for smearing his name. Yeah. Back it up with, you know what you should back it up with? A defamation suit if you really believe all of that stuff was false. Otherwise, shut the fuck up, you know? I don't want to yeah. hear it, okay? You got away with it because it's a good old boys network and they didn't want to bang you for that because if they did, they'd have no recourse other than to toss you from the game forever and they won't do that because they're not going to do it with Snyder and it is what it is. So they pretended that that was him joking, which was super silly. And it is what it is uh, uh, by popular demand and by popular. I don't know how popular it is, but it's by demand and by demand. It might just be by Alex's demand. Uh, we've decided to uh, implement uh, something that I know uh, these guys used to do on the old podcast. And that's the Boston sports minute. Um, yep. So we we're going to talk a little bit about uh Look at that little graphic there, Boston yeah. Sports Minute. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Red Sox because Alex, who is pulling double duty right now for the hub and uh, and uh, monitoring the trade deadline here, um, has some angry words for the Red Sox here for what they've done. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about the Patriots, maybe some uncertainty on offense. Imagine applying that to the whole organization. There's just no direction. They sell Christian Vasquez, who's very popular. They piss off Xander Bogarts and Raphael Devers in the process. Two guys you'd probably like to keep, and you probably want to stay in their good graces. And now they're out here giving up actual prospects for Eric Hosmer, 
a worse version of Mitch Moreland, who, by the way, is a free agent? Took him a year and a half to suddenly realize, oh, maybe we should have a first baseman by trade on the roster. They go out and they get the guy who gets caught in his car playing with himself to replace one of the most popular players on the roster. They go out and they get the guy who who was smacking people around in public over fantasy football. I, they they want to go out and get Dom Smith because they think he'd be a 300 hitter, 25 home runs with gold glove defense, things he's never done in his life. High and Bloom, like I, before this week, I said I was, you know, give High and Bloom some time. He's made some good draft picks. I think maybe Ben Charrington got the rug pulled out on him a year too early. I wonder what could have happened. Uh, no, I'm done with Bloom. I'm done. Today, the last 24 hours have been an absolute nightmare, uh, an absolute mess. There's, are they buyers? Are they sellers? They're treading water. They're spinning their tires, whatever you want to call it. Congratulations. You're going to get the sixth seed in the playoffs. You're going to one and done in the, uh, in the playoffs, in the wild card round. I hope you're happy. I hope it was worth selling everything you sold. I just, it's, it's brutal. They're, they're not even operating like a minor league, like a, a small market team at this point. I know people say, oh, he's trying to be like the Rays. The Rays don't make this Eric Hosmer trade. That's not what they do. What he's doing, best I can tell, he's just finding all these players who were really good in 2020 and acquiring them and like weren't good any other year. Dom Smith, Eric Hosmer, 2020, the flukiest year in the history of sports, right? So and he's like, oh, is, all the guys that were good then, let's go get those guys. So because who knows, maybe we'll have another shortened season and everything will be fine. Like it's just an odd plan. It doesn't make a ton of sense. And no, it does make sense. And that's the thing is this is actually a very Tampa Bay Rays move. What you found here is the San Diego Padres needing to move money um, here, and you're taking advantage of them uh, and picking up scraps here when everyone else has gone out and done their big deals. This is something that I think very much like what the Rays would do, which is you take you move you move guys that you think you're either not going to be re-signed or you think they've played out their string with you. You get rid of them at whatever price you can get and get some prospects there. And then you move something out for something else that you need uh, a little bit more or you take advantage of uh, you know uh, something in the market right there. And I think that that's perfectly fine. I actually don't think that the Hosmer move is a, uh, is a terrible move for them right now. I know you're getting at this point a league average hitter. It's a gold glove first baseman. Did they give up that much? Is it that bad? Yeah, just because their their biggest problem this year, among everything, they have no major league pitching depth. They don't have guys who are ready to pitch in the major leagues. They rushed Brian Bayo up. They might have ruined him. Jay Groom was a first-round pick. I know he had some injury problems, but Jay Groom was a first-round pick who was right there on the doorstep of being major league ready. They need major league ready pitching, and now they're even thinner there. Like, if they had moved maybe an infielder, if they had moved a guy like Jeter Downs, right? I feel a little better about it. They're not in, a, unless High and Bloom is going to actually pay guys with functioning elbows and not James Paxton, they're not in a place to move upper minors starting Jay, pitching uh, Jay talent. Groom, they're just not. It's, Alex, it's 2022. It, Jay Groom was drafted in 2016. He's outside your top 10 prospects. He is not knocking on the door. Or he's knocking on the door to be an emergency call-up sort of starter and maybe at the best his career projection is at best a a, a a journeyman fifth starter i just i don't think you're giving up anything there i really don't think you're giving up anything there anytime you're digging outside of your top 10 12 15 prospects it, unless it's somebody who's out who, unless somebody who's on the outside because they're in year one of professional ball and they've just begun their ascent. Jay Groom has been with the organization for six years. At this point, I think you got a pretty, and he's had some bad luck. He's had some injuries. I'm not super, super worried about that. What I am annoyed with is who are you exactly? Like you can spend some right, places, that's what ultimately spend some me. places, save other places, decide what you're going to be. You know, it's very strange. Like there might be a plan. And it might be a good plan. What, and it might be the prudent plan, which is, okay, you didn't give Xander his money. Xander's hit eight home runs this year. If you gave Xander a $35 million, you're telling me as a Red Sox fan, $30 million extent, you know, per year extension for six, seven years, you're telling me Red Sox fans wouldn't in two years be like, Ugh, what did we give that guy the money for? I wouldn't have given Xander the money. I'm sorry, I wouldn't. It just, it's the, it's the reality. Look at what you're living with now. Chris Sale and a ridiculous extension that you didn't need to give. Nate Evaldi. It's why you're in the position you're in. So some of this business is hard business. The, the issue I have is 
who's going to be left to watch any of it if and when this plan ever comes to fruition? Right now, you have to manage fans' expectations as well. and You can't let all of your best players walk, particularly considering how many people you've lost since the Mookie trade. So you've got to you got to give a little bit to, to get a little bit here. I, I just don't know that Heim Bloom's going to be around long enough to see this plan all the way through. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think, look, if you want to say Xander's not worth the money, like I agree with that. What I worry about is you let you traded Vasquez, which pisses off Xander. And now you're going to piss off Xander, who's going to be in Raphael Devers here because they're really close. Like you're just in, and, and there's a quote here, actually, uh, Julian McWilliams, I think of the globe, right? Um, just tweeted this. Evan actually texted this to me. So look at Evan contributing to the show. Uh, it's been deleted. But anyway, it said, um, Bogart says he questions the direction of the organization with the Vasquez move, said there were pieces leaving the organization, but none coming in. I, I don't know if that may, that maybe that's from before the Hosmer trade. But again, these are just not guys I would piss off because you kind of need them to be in your good graces to to ensure your future again. If you want to say maybe Xander's a little on the older side, you don't want to give him the big deal. You're worried about a Chris Sale situation. I understand that argument. I'm not going to push back on that argument. That's a philosophy thing. But if you're going to piss him off to the point where he's going to tell Raphael Devers, hey, I'm not coming back. Why would you come back? Like, don't come back here. It's going to be a mess. Well, now you're creating problems. You can not give the guy a new contract and still end on amicable terms. That's just kind of what you do. And this has been the Red Sox problem for years, going back multiple GMs. It's not just that they don't pay these guys. They blow sand in their eyes and kick them in the crotch on the way out the door. And it, here we go again with it. And again, I'm fine losing Xander. If Bogarts leaves, and if we find out part of the reason he left here, I'll give you your drama, John. I'll give you your drama in sports. If Bogarts, if, if Xander, if, if Devers leaves, and we find out part of the reason he left is that he was upset with how Bloom handled this season? Oh, that's a bad look. Oh, that's a bad look because it was avoidable. Yeah, you know, it's uh, – look, but that's – I mean, that's sports regardless. Like, here's the thing is – Hey, Noah Syndergaard to the Phillies, by the way. Wow. So here's things. Like, that happens. Like, Jason Tatum has his friends traded, and he's sad about it, too. It's like the smaller pieces, the – I mean, is Christian Vasquez a core piece of the Red Sox and a key to their success moving forward? Eh, I don't know. But he's my buddy, so I want him to stay. Like, I, whatever. Like, Christian Vasquez's get traded every day, you know? It just is what it is. It's not like – it's different, you know? It's not a straight – fire sale i understand you can start to have that vibe when xander goes if they traded xander at the deadline then devers can be like uh-oh what type of organization is this but vasquez is vasquez is fringy i don't care who he's friends with so just but but so what i would say is and this is where i think it sends the wrong message guys like vasquez do get traded you're right and it did make some sense to trade him but you also have guys like nathan Navaldi that get traded at the deadline quite a bit. Guys like Rob Snyder get traded at the deadline all the time. Uh, I, th I think a guy like John Schreiber is a guy you would normally see get moved at the deadline. Uh, even Bobby Dalbeck might qualify as somebody you would move at the deadline. Well, those guys didn't go and Christian Vasquez did. So why is it that we're subtracting? And, and this is talking from the player's point of view. Why is Vasquez the one that's where we're subtracting, but Evaldi gets to stay, even though it would be a comparable move. And Ref Snyder gets to stay. Even I just don't think anybody's paying philosophy. Yeah, I well, yeah. I'm not. Nobody, no, maybe nobody's paying for them. But I'm not like blown away with the offer they got for Vasquez. It's one thing if You're they not. got like, a top ten prospect, right? They if didn't. they got top ten prospect for him, sure, I get it. I just if they had traded Vasquez and then also traded some of these other guys away and actually sold, it hurts. But I think you see that as a player and you say this is the plan. It's a reset. They're clearly still trying to win. They're clearly adding. So as a player, you see, well, now why are we going for this without Christian? Christian was a big part of what we're doing. Why was he the guy who had to go, even though all these other guys get to stay and we bring in all these new guys? Like, that just doesn't uh, – why Why I, sell him specifically? Because now the way it looks, it looks like it was about Christian Vasquez, not about just simple roster management. I don't think they loved Vasquez. Um, I, I, you can question the return. I just – that's such a low-grade move for me, um, so it doesn't bug me a ton. But the directions, you do have to decide who you are and what you want to be. Uh, and it would be nice if some people knew it, because right now, all you've got is question marks uh, surrounding Heimblum. 
John Henry, does he even care? Is he worried about paying Evgeny Malkin and running it back with the Penguins? Is he worried about is he worried about anything that has to do with the Red Sox anymore, or is he running a bottom line business? Um, and nobody knows anymore. And I think that's what kind of has fans vexed. Is like, wait a second, like that's not how we used to do stuff. We would just go buy everything and spend our way out of problems. Anytime we do one of these segments, you know, we do when I'd worked at NBC or this or that, who's the closest to a title contention when no team's really right. knocking on the door. I'd always say the Red Sox because they work in a non-salary cap league and they could spend their way out of problems. It's not the case anymore. And that's, I find shocking. Yeah. And I mean, that goes up to ownership and all that. And that's a whole other discussion, but yeah, it is, it is frustrating knowing that, what they're doing right now, you may say it's the right moves for the plan, right? It might be the right moves for High and Bloom's plan. Like you said, some of this is how a small market team operates. Well, okay, fine. You're executing the plan, but it's a but bad plan. It's a bad plan. I've always, my beef, my beef has always been with John Henry because I don't think he knows what he wants either. Because I think it's John I just don't Henry, think he cares. But I think in over time, over the course of time, it's John Henry's philosophical shifts that have affected huge uh, things that have happened on the field. And that goes back to, oh, I saw some studies that said you don't pay pitchers over 30, so let's lowball John Lester. And John Lester gets pissed right. and John Lester leaves. Then you, then you suffer for it and you say, well, crap, let's now pay a pitcher over 30 a ton of money. And you dump a shit ton of money into David Price and that blows up in your face. When Ben Sherrington takes over his first year, he says, we can't hit anymore. We need hitting. Go get the best guys on the market. Well, I don't really love any of the guys. I don't care. Go. So he goes and gets Hanley and Panda. That was bad too. Okay. I, we're going to hire a new manager. We need somebody with experience and moxie. Who do you think hires Bobby Valentine? It's friggin' John Henry until that blows up, and then they go in the other direction. So it's spend, get the pitching. Wait a second. We're going to take a year or two and reset. We don't want to overreact in free agency. Oh, shoot. We lost two years. We need to overreact in free agency. You bring in Ben Charrington, who's hoarding prospects and building up the system, and what do you do? I'm going to go get Dave Dombrowski to set it all on fire because this guy is bold and wins championships. I'll tell you what, Alex, I could have won a championship as general manager if you told me I could do whatever the hell I wanted right. to the minor league system. Okay, anybody, friggin' Al from Revere, anybody can could have done what Dave Dombrowski did. Not hard. Now he's like, I'm going to be fiscally responsible with Heim Bloom. We'll see how much rope Bloom gets with this plan. I really don't know whether he sees it to fruition. But again, it's it's the philosophical agree. changes of ownership that really drive me nuts with this team. What do we want to be? We, now we are fiscally prudent we're not paying taxes and we're doing this we're not signing people long term and and paying for past performance and we're going to do it the tampa rays way we're going to be one of those types of good luck see if there's anybody left see if blue is even left there to see it all the way through yep no no i'd yeah. agree and that's yeah. that welcome to the boston sports minute john that that's pretty much how it goes oh yeah is, no trust me boston I'm, sports minute I, I i can rant a bit i mean to full disclosure alex i I have, you know, we're fans and we do this type of stuff for a living. So right. we're paid to, we're paid to talk about it, write about it, do whatever we do. But I stopped being a red, I, I, I've written off the Red Sox post Mookie. So that's it for me. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah. no, this is like, easy, but it's fun. You get to like, people like to hear, you know, I, I think people always found it interesting to hear me and Evan and now me and you talk about, you know, they hear us talk about the Patriots. Well, how does it apply to other teams? People get to hear me I, not be a homer, right? And I like Evan's basketball takes too. So whenever you can give those lights oh, just went out on me. That. So the lights are going out on this podcast right. as well. Alex Barth, Boston sports minute Patriots beat podcast is really what this is. Uh, but we digress and we did uh, and talked a little bit of Red Sox here. We're back for camp. Uh, you know, day seven tomorrow, we'll have another podcast. Alex's stuff again, listen to his podcast with Phil Perry on 98.5. Uh, and all, of course, all of his written material covering the Red Sox. And now the trade deadline as well. Uh, Alex is a busy man. So make sure you check his stuff out over at 98.5.com.